Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Uh, The rest of you, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're trucking along here through the Gospel of Luke at a really rapid pace, right? (laughs) Luke chapter 8. When I was at my former church a long time ago, about maybe 16, 17 years ago, we were in the middle of a building project, kind of like what was happening here many years ago. And we lived in a parsonage right next to the church. And so there were a lot of construction workers that were coming on the property, and um, I kind of had to walk from the parsonage to the church. And so I was interacting with a lot of construction workers. And, And one day, a construction worker had a problem with his car. And so his car wouldn't start, and so he needed a ride to Walmart to be able to get a part. And so I volunteered to drive him to Walmart. And at that time, we lived in Black Forest, Colorado, and Walmart was maybe about 10, 15 minutes away. So I had this man in my car for a 15-minute drive there and back. He was my captive audience. And so what I did was I began to share the gospel with him. And I began to, to share the gospel with him pretty thick. And I began to kind of lay the gauntlet down and share the gospel with him. And and he was fidgety and he was nervous and he did not really want to hear anything I had to say. It was kind of like a brick wall. And finally, when when I got back to the church and let him out, he was so thankful to be out of my car because he didn't have to, to hear me. And so it was one of those moments where there was definitely a resistance to the gospel. When I first came to Emmanuel, uh, there was a young man. This was over in the old building. There was a young man that showed up, and after the service, he was broken, and he was crying, and he was repentant, and he wanted to get his life right with Christ. And so I made an appointment to go meet with him that week. And so later on in the week, I, met, I went to meet with him, and I was expecting him to be all you know, broken and contrite and repentant. And, and he doesn't even remember what happened that past Sunday. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He didn't want anything to do with the gospel. He had so much uh, disinterest in the things of the Lord, which was very interesting. I've shared the gospel to a man in a car on the way to Walmart. I've shared the gospel in people's apartment buildings. I've shared the gospel in villages in South Asia. I've shared the gospel in my office. And I've seen the gamut of responses. I've seen brick walls. I've seen fidgeting. I've seen hostility. I've seen people give their life to Christ right in front of me. There are so many different responses I could tell you to how people have come to understand the gospel. Which brings up an interesting question this morning. Have you ever wondered why some people respond positively to Jesus when you share the gospel and others do not. When you witness to one family member, they trust Christ for salvation, but for another family member, it's in one ear and out the other. They could care less. Why is it that in this room today, there will be some of you that receive the word with gladness, with joy, and others will walk out of this place and it will go in one ear and out the other? 
Why are there so many various responses to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What we find out is Jesus tells us a parable in Luke chapter 8. So I invite you to look at this. We're just going to skip over, for the sake of time, the first three verses there, not because it's not important, but it's basically a summary statement of Jesus going into the villages and that he had a lot of women, especially Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons as part of those that helped Jesus in his ministry. And so we're just going to kind of skip over that. It's just basically Jesus is preaching. He's got women on his ministry team that are helping him. But we're going to dive into to verse 4 where Jesus begins to tell really the first parable. This is the first parable that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the prototype for understanding all the parables. And so you've probably heard this before, but let's read it together. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. When a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him And when the disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who've heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. As for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. And for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Okay, before we dive into the parable, I want to just address two introductory issues related to parables. And the first first is probably the most basic. So first question is, what's a parable? What is a parable? Well, a parable is a story that Jesus often tells that has images from everyday life. Farmers, people that go out to buy and sell, things that that culture would know that are basically things from ordinary life, but they have a deep spiritual meaning that you really have got to pay attention to. You've really got to understand. At first, they seem straightforward, but they require spiritual understanding. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So this is a parable. It requires spiritual understanding. 
spiritual hearing. One basic definition of a parable is this, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, we understand the earthly story part of it. The heavenly meaning is the hard part. What's the heavenly meaning? Okay, so it's a, it's, a, it's a story that Jesus tells from everyday life that has a deeper meaning. Now, the second question, why did Jesus teach in parables? What's the purpose of teaching in parables? Why did Jesus do this? What was his purpose? Well, we can see the key in verse 10. After Jesus tells the parable, his disciples come to him. Verse 10, he said, To you, his disciples, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But for others, they're in parables so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. The disciples have been given this knowledge. The disciples have been given understanding. So the main purpose of a parable is to give understanding to those that are God's people. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells it this way. In Matthew 13, 10 through 11, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. This is a difficult doctrine that we need to come to grips with, but for some people, they will hear the parable and they will not understand because they've not been given the ability to understand. For others, they will hear the parable and they will understand because they've been given the ability to understand. So here's the question. Why did you become a Christian in the first place? Why are you one who has trusted in Christ, why are you a believer today? Well, there's a bunch of different reasons, but let's just look at a few. In Ephesians 1, 4-5, Paul says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to him as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. One of the reasons you're a Christian today is because God the Father predestined you before the foundation of the world to become a believer. God chose you. First Th- or Second Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning. For salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and the truth, it was to this He's called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why you became a Christian is because God chose you to be. There's another reason why you became a Christian. God made you alive when you were spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 4-5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. God took you from spiritual death and and brought you spiritual life. And the very faith that you exercised to personally trust in Christ, God gave that to you as a gift as well. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is the gift of God. What's the it? The faith. Faith is a gift of God given to you in order for you to believe. 
Philippians 1.29, it's been granted, it's been given to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. So if you're a Christian here today, the only reason you're a Christian is because God has done a work in your heart. From eternity past to a point in time, God has done a work in your heart to bring you to faith. You heard the voice of your shepherd, Jesus, and as a sheep, you responded in faith. That's why Jesus says in John 10, 3-4, the sheep hear his voice. He calls to his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So when you heard the gospel... You had ears to hear because the shepherd was calling you, and as a sheep, you followed Jesus. It wasn't foolishness to you. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you've been called, the gospel makes sense. So the first purpose of a parable is to bring saving knowledge of the truth to those who are God's people. But it also says here, to those who are on the outside, to others, it's not been given. It's actually a form of judgment on those who refuse to hear. Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, and, Paul, or, and Luke here records it as in verse 10, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So here's the entire point of a parable. There is going to be two types of people. Those that hear Jesus, come to Jesus, receive Jesus, because God has done a work to bring them to faith, Others, when they hear the gospel, it's going to go in one ear and out the other because they refuse to have ears to hear the truth. So the Holy Spirit has to do a work in you. The Holy Spirit's got to grant you understanding. The Holy Spirit's got to open your eyes. The Holy Spirit's got to open your ears. The Holy Spirit's got to do a work in your life to do this. Now, let's look at these parables. This, this, this Actually, this parable. It's pretty straightforward, right? A sower goes out, sows seed, it falls along four types of soil, and it's pretty self-explanatory. But I want you to notice something before we even begin to look at these four types of soils. What's the one thing in all four of the soils that doesn't change? The seed. The seed never changes. So the Word of God never changes. What's our temptation when we want to share the gospel with people? We want to change the word to make it more receptive to people. We may not want to offend people. We may want to water down the gospel. And so we change the nature of the seed to make it more palatable to the soil. And so the issue here is not the seed. The issue is the soil. There's four types of soils. There's four types of conditions of the heart. The seed, the word of God, remains the same in all four of them. And so, the issue of this parable is the condition of the heart of those that hear the Word of God. There are four types of hearts, four types of soils that Jesus describes for us in this parable. So, let's explore these four types of soil. What's the first? The first is the hardened and indifferent heart. 
This is the one that fell along the path. Now, we need to understand something about ancient Israel. They would have fields where they would sow, but along those fields they would have paths where people would walk. And they were really downtrodden because there was a lot of foot traffic. And sometimes the sower would kind of, he, he would miss the field and he would sow, not purposely, along the path. And because there's no soil and it's been hard packed, what happens? The bird comes down and just takes the seed up because there's no root at all. It's, it's a hard packed trail, the hard packed road there. And what Jesus is saying here is the first type of soil are those whose hearts have been so packed down with sin that they're hardened to the gospel. They're indifferent to the gospel. Maybe they think they'll have another chance one day to trust Christ. Maybe they've had a bad experience in the past and they don't want to hear anything you have to say about the gospel. Maybe they're an outright pagan who's just hostile to the gospel. Maybe they don't want to hear about anything spiritual. Now here's the scary thing about this passage of Scripture, and it made me stop and think. What does Jesus say happens to the first soil? Okay, so let's look at verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who've heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. I had to think about that. Does the devil have that much power to come and take the word of God that's been planted in someone's heart? Now, I don't know all the issues related to this and how the devil does this, but I do know there's one passage of Scripture that we can look at, and that's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Talking about those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world. That's Satan, the God of this world. What's he done? He's blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I don't know how Satan does this, Obviously, under God's permission. But for some people, they're so hardened, they're so indifferent, they're so closed off to spiritual things, Satan has come and done a work in them to prevent them from trusting in Christ. So let's just think about something for a moment here. Don't ever underestimate the power of Satan when you're sharing the gospel. I've seen it firsthand in South Asia where you try to share the gospel and there's some demonic things going on that are trying to prevent that from happening. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. He says this, Let us beware of the devil. We shall always find him at church. He's everywhere watching for us to get lazy and a seeking occasion to destroy our souls. But nowhere perhaps is the devil so active as in the church of gospel hearers. Nowhere does he labor so hard to stop the progress of the gospel and to prevent men and women from being saved. In churches that preach the gospel, what does Satan not want to have happen? People get saved. So you will see spiritual warfare when churches begin to share the gospel faithfully. Maybe you've even experienced it on the mission field. Maybe you've experienced it when you've tried to share the gospel. Satan ramps up his activity to prevent people from hearing the gospel. He puts that blinder over their eyes. And so, if, if this describes you today, if you have this hard heart, this indifferent heart, you could care less about Jesus, 
My prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit would come and plow up that resistance. He would come plow up that hard heart. We've got some Old Testament passages that talk about the the fallow ground. Jeremiah 4.3 For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Break up that hardened ground. Hosea 10.12 Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. If you're here today and you've got a hard heart, Only God can soften it. Only the Holy Spirit can come in and and plow that hardness away. So that's my prayer for you today. If If the word's going out and you have a hard heart, the Holy Spirit would plow it soft. So that's the first soil, the hard heart, the indifferent heart. The second is the shallow and superficial heart. This is the one that fell among the rocks. Verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while. In a time of testing, they fall away. Now, back in ancient Israel, during that time, and even today, There's this limestone shelf that runs through some areas which make it really, really hard to plant crops because the soil is so thin, maybe like two inches thin, and it doesn't get a lot of moisture. And so when it falls along these rocky areas, they can sprout up with some some plants pretty quickly, but they die off because there's no root system. There's no moisture. They can't grow roots. But notice this soil. Notice the condition of this heart. How do they receive the word of God? With joy. They're excited. They're exuberant. They walked forward at the altar call and they got excited about Jesus. They're on fire for the Lord. They're passionate for a while. What's the key here? What does it say there in verse 13? They receive it with joy, but these have no root. There's no root. There's no true salvation. This is kind of a superficial me-centered hearer. They like to get the benefits of Jesus. They, they like to get out a hell-free card. They like the, maybe the excitement of what it means to follow Christ at first. Man, as a youth pastor, I saw this a lot with teenagers. Maybe you've seen it too. People get excited for Jesus at first. But there's real no salvation because there's no, there's no root. And notice what it says there. They believe for a while, and then in a time of testing, they fall away. In a time of testing. Maybe they stood up for Christ and then they got ostracized. Their friends left them. Maybe they got made fun of at work. They realized that, hey, this Christianity thing that I signed up for, I didn't know it was going to come with trials. I didn't know it was going to come with persecution. I thought it was all going to be like fun and games and excitement all the time. Now, what do trials do for a true believer? When we go through trials as a true believer, what's the purpose of it? James 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, what does it produce? It produces steadfastness. 
And steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What's the purpose of trials? To, to grow our faith, to grow our character. 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, trust testing for the believer strengthens our faith, grows us to be more like Jesus, builds our character. What does testing do for a stony ground here? It reveals their true character. Now let me be very clear about this. Very clear. They did not lose their salvation or choose to walk away from their salvation. Here's the point. They were never saved in the first place. They may appear to be saved. I've said this many times. You can profess faith in Christ with your mouth but not possess Jesus as Lord in your heart. You can walk or you can talk the talk. They made an outward profession of faith, but they had no no inward possession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. John tells us about this in 1 John 2.19. He gives us an example. They went out from us, But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain to all that they're not of us. They went out. They didn't continue. They didn't persevere. They didn't stick with it. Why? There's no root. It's an emotional experience. It's quick excitement. It's superficial, but they really didn't understand the cost of following Christ. They got caught up in the emotion of it. But then when real life hit, persecution, trials, standing up for Jesus, the cost of discipleship, taking up your cross daily and following him, all those things that come with true following Christ, they're like, whoa, I didn't didn't sign up for this. I'm going to bail on Jesus because it's a shallow superficial faith with no roots. If that describes you today, if you're the shallow soil, you're good at faking it. You're good at faking Christianity. But then when the real pressure comes, you don't want anything to do with it. My prayer for you is this. Stop playing games and stop being superficial and ask the Lord Jesus to give you those deep roots of himself in salvation. Don't be a shallow, superficial, fake Christian that kind of fakes it for everybody else, but there's no true salvation. Okay, we've seen the first two types of soils. Here's the third. The third is what I call the distracted and preoccupied heart. The distracted and preoccupied heart. Okay, this is the third one. Look at verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, now thorns are also like weeds. So think about weeds. What do weeds do? Anybody here like weeds? I can't stand weeds. They've even invented something called a weed eater in Roundup. Weeds. As for what fell among the thorns, the weeds, they are those who hear, 
But as they go on their way, they're choked by three things. The cares of this world, the riches of this world, and the pleasures of this world. They're preoccupied with everything this world has to offer. They, they stress about the world. They stress about riches. They stress about material wealth. They, they, they're, they're consumed with pleasure. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The pleasures of this life. The cares. Now, some of these things may not be bad in and of themselves. But when they overwhelm you to the point that you think about them all the time and you put Jesus to the side and he's not the first place in your life, this becomes a problem. Again, listen to J.C. Ryle. <clears throat> he's wisely said this. Thousands of things which in themselves are innocent become, when followed to excess, little better than soul poisons that lead us straight to hell. Innocent things can become soul poisons that lead us straight to hell. This is a person that wants the gospel with strings attached. I want the gospel on my own terms. I want Jesus when it's convenient, but all these cares and things of the world have come and they've choked out Jesus and I'm so consumed with the world. Paul describes one of his ministry partners this way. 2 Timothy 4.10 For Demas, in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Think about that. If you're in the Bible and your name's Demas, what's your description? You're in love with this present world. That's, that's, that's not what I want to... I want the description to be for Sean Cole to be, Jesus, Jesus was his love, not this present world. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's a preoccupied, it's a distracted, it's a worldly heart. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or, or hatred with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, we've seen these three soils. The hardened soil, the shallow soil, the distracted soil. None of these three soils are truly saved. Obviously, the first one's not saved, but the second one fakes it pretty well, and the third one does a good job of faking it as well. The fourth is the only soil that's truly a Christian. Let's look at the fourth soil. This is the receptive and fruitful heart. The receptive and fruitful heart. Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, we need to be very careful here. This soil is not good because it's made itself good in and of itself. Because Paul says in Romans 3, 10 through 12, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So this is not you become good and then God chooses to save you because you're inherently good. No, the point is the Holy Spirit makes you good soil. 
The Holy Spirit makes your heart good. This is the regenerate heart. This is the heart that's been made alive. This is the heart that God has done a work in to bring you to faith by His sovereign grace. (coughs) Excuse me. This is the only one that's saved. The other ones were not. Now what describes this type of soil? Notice how Luke describes it. They hear the word of God. Well, all the other three heard the word of God. But what's the main difference? They hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience or with endurance. In other words, this is the true believer. They've received the word of God. They've taken Christ into their life. They bear fruit. They endure to the end. This is a person that didn't just start out well. This is a person that truly has the roots of salvation, the roots of the gospel. They are truly saved. They love Jesus, and they stick to it among, until the end. So, unlike the second soil that fell among the rocks... When trials come for the fourth soil, you endure the trials because God gives you the grace to get through them. Unlike the third soil that fell among the thorns, when the cares and distractions of this world come, you may fall into periods of temporary sin, but ultimately your focus is always back on on Jesus. Now, four soils. The first one, a hardened heart, not a believer. Second one, a shallow heart, thinks they're a believer, but not a believer. Third, the preoccupied heart, thinks they're a believer, but so consumed with the world. Fourth, one that God makes a believer, one that God plows up and gives good soil and is truly a Christian. The four soils. Now let's make some application this morning. Because this parable helps us understand what's going on when you and I personally share the gospel with someone that we know. Whether it's a co-worker, a family worker, someone that doesn't know Jesus, whether you're on a mission trip, whether you're in a car with somebody on a plane, wherever you are, what happens or what should we be doing? And let me read this again. This was our call to worship, but this is Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. I think the King James says void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When you share the gospel, that seed It's not going to return empty. It's going to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. What God wants it to accomplish. So let me give you three encouragements this morning. When it comes to sharing your faith, when it comes to sowing the seed, here's the first. Sow the seed often to all people without exception. One danger of this parable that you could take to an extreme is to try to figure out what the condition of somebody's heart is and only share the gospel with the person you think is receptive. You don't know what's going on in a person's heart. You can't look inside a person's heart and see what's going on. You don't know if they're one of God's elect or not. You're not given that information. All you have to do is share the seed, sow the seed, share the gospel, share it often, share it continually, share it with love, share it generously. 
with every person that you know. Don't hold back sowing the seed. Only God knows the condition of the heart. You don't. So everybody's a candidate for Jesus. You share the gospel with everybody you come in contact with. That's the first. Second, because you don't know the condition of their heart and only God can do a work, what do you do? You pray. Pray for God to grant sovereign grace and salvation to your hearers. Pray for God to do that work. Because here's one thing that you can't do. You can't control the response. You can't control the soil of their heart. You can't talk them into a decision. Only God can do that work. But you can sure pray for it. Pray for God to do a work in their heart. You share the gospel consistently, and you pray fervently for God to save them. And third, trust God for the harvest instead of using manipulation and gimmicks to force a response. You don't have to arm twist. You don't have to be gimmicky. You don't have to do all these weird types of manipulation things. Just with love in your heart, share the gospel. And then pray like crazy that God would do a work and then leave the results up to God. Leave the results up to a sovereign God. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Sow the seed. Sow the seed indiscriminately to everybody that you come in contact with. Share the gospel faithfully, consistently, and then pray. Pray for the heart. And then leave the results up to God. God's going to bring the increase. God's going to bring the growth. Now, why did Jesus tell this parable? Look at verse 8. At the very end of verse 8, what did he say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's a weird thing to say. He who has ears, let him hear what I have to say. Now, now question. Anybody, I'm looking out there, all of you have ears, right? If you have ears, listen. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying this. Pay attention. Because the purpose of this parable is to pinpoint what type of soil you are. Pay attention. He who has an ear, let him hear. Because what may be at stake is your eternal destiny depending upon the condition of your heart. Ultimately, what's the condition of the soil of your heart today? If you're like the first soil and you're hardened, and you're, you're bitter, Again, I can't change your heart. Only God can do that. But I can pray for God to break up that resistance. And there may be some of you here today that have a hard heart towards God. You've been resistant. Some of you, like the second soil, you may just have a shallow, superficial, faking it type of faith. Stop faking it. Ask God to put the true roots of the gospel in your heart and, and save you by grace alone, truly. Only you know if you're faking it, if you're shallow. But I, my prayer is that God would, would take away that superficiality and really give you true 
salvation. Or maybe you're like the third soil. You've got a distracted heart. You're choked out by the things of the world. Ask God to to, to come and pull those weeds out that are choking him out and, and, and to do that sovereign work of pulling those weeds out and replacing it with himself. Again, the first three soils are not believers. God has to do the work to make you good soil. So there's a warning in here. Make sure you're not the first three types of soil. So what's the condition of your heart today? Has your heart been made good? Not because you're good, but are you the good soil because God has done a work of grace in your heart? God's opened your eyes. God's opened your ears. God's saved you. God's softened you. God's made you alive. God's caused you to be born again. God has done a work in your heart because you are trusting in Christ alone for salvation. I don't want anybody leaving here today having heard with their ears but not truly responding in faith. I don't want anybody to be the first three types of soils. Again, I can't look into your hearts. I don't know. All I know is that the word's gone out today. You've heard it. Jesus will be saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. May we all walk out of this place saved, changed, our hearts softened because Jesus did a work of grace to make us the good soil, the receptive soil, the fruitful soil. And we give all praise and glory to him because it's not anything that we did in ourselves. It's something he alone gave us as a gift of grace. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning and spend some time Asking yourself, what is the condition of the soil of my heart? Father, my prayer this morning is that all of us have been confronted, <coughs> confronted with your word. And that the word has fallen on good soil not because we're good or we can make ourselves good or we can do enough good, but because you have saved us by grace and changed us from the inside out. You gave us the ears to hear. You gave us the eyes to see. We trusted in Christ because of your work in us. Lord, if there are any hard-hearted hearers here this morning, would you plow up the hardness of their fallow heart Lord, if there are shallow hearers here this morning that are faking it, they don't want to be identified with the hard parts of Christianity. They they just kind of like the, the fun stuff. Would you convict them and put the roots of Jesus deep in their hearts? Lord, if there are some hearers here today that are distracted, worldly, they're being choked out by all these things, would you take those weeds out of their heart? And replace it with Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you do this work of grace. You're the ultimate farmer, the ultimate sower of the seed, the plower of our souls. We could do nothing without your grace and your mercy and your love. 
And Lord, as we go out this week, maybe there's some people that we come in contact with that need the gospel. Help us to share it with boldness, with confidence to know that if we share the, the gospel, we don't know what the condition of their heart is, but God, you can do a work. You can do a sovereign work of grace to plow up that heart and to bring them to faith. So help us to, to, to sow with confidence, knowing that you're in charge of the results. That frees us from having to do manipulation or any type of things that feels like it's all on us. It's all on you, Jesus, and we're thankful for that. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.